0: Hey, we super appreciate the love on Twitter these past couple of weeks. If you're a new subscriber, this is your first time listening, Storybound isn't your average radio theater thing. It can be a conversation, an extended feeling, a lonely coffee pot, whatever the show chooses to be each week, we invite writers to teach us something that we can take with us and keep and then pass along to others. This week, Daniel Anthony Olivas reminds us of new love and meditation, how to remain grounded and patient in the midst of human suffering. He is an award-winning playwright and the author of 10 books. His latest collection of short stories is titled How to Date a Flying Mexican, from which he'll be reading for this episode. I'm Jude Brewer, welcome to Storybound. So Daniel, I have noticed through reading your book that your writing has this playfulness to it. Reminds me a little bit of my early 20s when I was obsessing a lot over Italo Calvino's prose. It was was one of my favorite writers. Mm -hmm. And and just the way you tell a story reminds me very much of of that feeling. Just the way you can kind of play with the tone and how your narration observes your characters. It seems very sympathetic. Like it's far away, but still up close. And the way you write for women and men, I can't help but Okay, all right, so here, I'm gonna start over. You're the middle child,
1: <laughs> yes. right?
0: Middle of five. Yes. You see a mostly equal distance in both directions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas I was an only child, while my mother was a child of five. So I'm very often curious about that dynamic, especially for someone who's recently not to bring this up if it's if it's if if this is a little too heavy but you recently lost your father as mm-hmm. i lost my own father in 2020 after having kind of a rough go of it so mm-hmm. where do you kind of every with everything i've said where do you feel that you fit within your family as a writer and a lawyer and as a father yourself especially when you're really writing about human suffering with your characters so often
1: it's, lovely question and yes my father passed in september 2020 and in fact he had wanted to be a writer he always told his wonderful stories and my father had a mischievous sense of humor sometimes very silly and i've been told i sort of inherited um, his approach to life he worked in a factory when i was young and wrote fiction and poetry on a little manual typewriter a uh, royal quiet deluxe the same model that Hemingway used, and in the late 50s and early 60s, uh, with a high school education, um, he tried to become a published writer, Uh, and uh, those stories never got published, and he destroyed everything and then focused on getting educated and being a father. So being a middle child, the middle child tends not to belong to the older group or to the younger group, and the middle child can often become the diplomat. Can often be the person who does the the, uh, shuttle diplomacy between the two groups and also can sometimes be partnered with one of the two groups but not completely so it forces the middle child to listen to hear what people are saying and to adjust to what they are saying Uh, not necessarily to mimic the way they talk, but to understand how they talk and understand the words they use. So my approach to storytelling in fiction tends to encompass those skills, I think. Um, One of my favorite characters in my fiction is the narrator. I love to have a narrator in certain stories that is full personality, and I like to call that narrator the old storyteller. And it's uh, a person who is older and who understands people and is often amused by people, and is not afraid to insert his own sense of um, reality as well as morals into the uh, narrative. So I think it all kind of comes together in some of these stories, and I think in my title story, how to date a flying Mexican, that narrator comes through pretty clearly, but I don't think is intrusive. How How to date 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 a flying Mexican. Rule number one, don't tell anyone about the flying part. After the second night Conchita witnessed Moises flying in his backyard under the moonlight, and after the first night they shared her bed, which happened to be the second night she witnessed him flying in his backyard under the moonlight, she realized that no one, not even her sister Julieta, could learn of her new novio's extraordinary talent. What would people think? Certainly, gossip would spread throughout the neighborhood, eventually migrating south out of Los Angeles and down below the border to Conchita's hometown of Ocotlan via whispered phone calls, wisecracking emails, and even terse though revealing postcards. Yes, the chisme would most certainly creep out of the city limits inexorably spreading like a noxious fog, finally reaching all of her friends and family who would shake their collective head about poor Conchita Lozano de la Peña finally going loca. And, of course, they would proclaim such madness involved lust. See what happens when you don't settle down like all good Catholic Mexican women and marry a man who can give you children and something to look forward to in old age. No God-fearing woman should ever enter her sixth decade of life as Conchita had two years earlier without having walked down the aisle to accept the sacrament of marriage. And it makes no matter that Conchita certainly doesn't look her age with skin as smooth as Indian pottery combined with a voluptuous figure that would knock the false teeth out of any mature and eligible man. But that's the problem, you see. Too much fun, not enough pain. And now Conchita thinks she has fallen in love with a Mexican who can fly. Hi, Chihuahua.
0: I'm sure in your years of diligence with both acting as a lawyer and even with your academics, it seems maybe just on the outset you took a liking to school rather naturally. Am I right in assuming that? Yes, I I,
1: I liked school. I liked... Um, I liked uh, reading, and um, I I, I thank my parents for for that love of reading, and I enjoyed interacting with the teachers. And then as a lawyer, and I think this kind of goes back to your earlier question, you did mention my my legal practice. One of the things I've learned about my legal writing is that it has improved dramatically since I have been a fiction writer. Mm. One of the things I see in legal writing whether it's a a brief at the supreme court or a memorandum to a higher up is that the art of storytelling is essential Uh, being able to to tell a clear story with clear sentences with active verbs is as essential in legal writing as it is in fiction writing so i truly believe that i'm using the same synapses i'm using the skills as a storyteller to actually improve my work as a lawyer.
0: You know, my, my two stepdaughters are in school right now. They love it. They don't resist it like I I did for too long. So it's, <laughs> it's interesting to experience that secondhand and see them get really involved and see them want to do, uh, they're already coming up with exactly what they want to do when they're older and form that. Maybe you can give me some advice as a, as a father. You have a son Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> who got his bachelor's degree.
1: Right. So my son um, uh, majored in anthropology at UCLA, and he's mm-hmm. a video game designer. Um, mm-hmm. He's 31 years old, and he um, is extremely creative, very funny, and a very thoughtful person. And he comes from a really diverse kind of perspective. He's Chicano, and he's Jewish, and he's gay. And so he brings these three elements of his personality into his to his own storytelling, if you will, the way he expresses himself, but also in the way he approaches video game design as well. Um, he struggled in school. He has ADHD. Mm-hmm. And so we worked with him. Uh, my wife and I, are, you know, we both went to law school and we didn't Suffer from ADHD or, or or anything like that. So, uh, you know, we work with them, and the primary goal in working with a kid who struggles in school, mm-hmm. and I get, I got this from my wife because she she's a smart person, <laughs> is to make certain that um, you know don't worry about the grades. The grade if they come, they come. Make certain that they don't get ostracized. Make certain that they have a strong sense a community within the school they have they maintain their friendships you know work on the behavioral stuff mm-hmm. and as long as they have a strong behavioral basis to be with other people and to create those connections you know if they don't get the a's or the b's or even the c's they're going to do okay in the world and they're going to be connected with people and in the end you, you really just want to make certain your kid is a kind person who is going to, you know, do more good in the world than, than, than bad. And now Conchita thinks she has fallen in love with a Mexican who can fly. Fly, 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 fly. So you see, no one can find out about her novio's pension for flying period. Conchita's good fortune cannot be tarnished by this slightly odd behavior. While keeping the secret, she will proudly introduce him to her comadres at tardiadas, quinceañeras, and funerals, even if they have already recognized Moisés Rojo as Conchita's recently widowed but still vigorous next-door neighbor. And people will indeed nod with approval because this woman, finalmente, has found a solid, handsome an age-appropriate gentleman who maybe, just maybe, will ask her to marry him. And perhaps, they will say, Conchita will come to her senses after all these years of dating charming but useless men and allow the holy, catholic, and apostolic church to bless their union in a proper Mexican wedding because in God's eyes, it is never too late for sinners, as long as they are still living and breathing and taking up space on this miraculous place we call Earth. When Conchita finally broached the subject with Moises about his flying, not marriage, he had held up his right hand palm out to his new love and corrected her. I do not fly, mi amor, he said softly. I levitate. And what exactly is the difference, she asked. Planes fly, he explained. Birds and mosquitoes and kites fly. People levitate. Oh, said Conchita. That's clear. But what should I tell people? Moises only shrugged. A few minutes later, when Conchita attempted to return to the topic, Moises grabbed her shoulders and kissed her full on the mouth. Conchita surrendered to his taste, smell, and touch as if this were their first kiss. Moises pulled back and looked into his novia's eyes tell people whatever you wish he said to me it makes no difference and so it was Conchita decided never to share her secret with anyone it goes back to my parents um you know my parents have um, my my late father and my and my mom who's still alive a very strong sense of um, treating people with respect i was raised catholic i converted to judaism back in 1988 but in both of the in both those religions and i you know and i'm not telling people they should be religious you know, people should be whatever they want to be but in those two religions there is a very strong ethic about trying to help people forget some of the stuff that might be offensive like for example i'm pro-choice so you know in the catholic religion you know abortion, abortion is a sin, but, but in terms of doing charity or in the uh, Jewish religion, uh, tekum olam, which is, you know, um, uh, re- recreating or, or, or fixing, you know, the world in some way in, through your actions. Mm-hmm. I think those are elements of, of religion that are a good thing to have. Right. regardless of whether or not you believe in God it, it's just it's just trying to repair the world and make it a better place right and uh, without really knowing what comes after after you know we we leave this world
0: I appreciate the the distinction between religion and church, because mm-hmm. your religion and what you carry is, is that's your authority that you operate by. And my general authority, when, when it came to finding what my, my religion was, you know, my personal authority came from how do I reduce as much pain as possible while I'm here? Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. I totally agree. And and frankly,
1: <laughs> I, could, you know, whatever religion you are or if you're not you know if you don't have a religion it's all it's all so random I mean if I were born <laughs> in you know in India you know instead of Los Angeles I'd be a, a totally different religion you know and it's just so right. random and and that's why I get very frustrated with people who say there's only one way mm-hmm. you know it's just illogical there's no logic to that argument or that assertion mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because if there's only one way, and, and if God is truly, you know, it, it truly exists and is truly a, a good deity, Why would God do that? Why would God say, "Okay, I'm going, I'm going to, you know, it's going to be a crapshoot. Some people are going to, you know, be born in Los Angeles and they're going to be Christian and therefore they're going to be saved. But I'm going, I'm going to um, have a bunch. I'm going to have billions of people born in China and in India and in 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 other countries, and they're not going to be Christian because, of course, that's not the religion of those countries. And you know what? They're not going to be saved.
0: There's like no logic to it there's not logic to it and it leads to like this path of almost like sadism and nihilism that makes me sad yes. and I can't I, I can't I can't i can't i can't allow myself to go there uh, or say nope that's not my construct so mm-hmm. roll
1: number two Don't Don't try try to understand understand how he does it. Other than the flying part, Conchita found Moises to be quite normal. He ate, slept, read the paper, and loved her as any ordinary man would. When Conchita asked him one day why she couldn't fly, unless she held his hand, in which case, she would rise effortlessly from the earth, as if she were filled with helium. Moises, of course, corrected her terminology. I levitate, I don't lie. lie. And then explained that after his wife died, he had fallen out of balance. So, he took up yoga and transcendental meditation. How did you learn of these things? asked Conchita. "'I went online and typed in, out of balance,' he said. "'I found many excellent websites and articles.' "'And?' Conchita pressed. "'And after much study, I became a disciple.' "'A disciple of what?' "'Of balance, mi amor,' Moises answered. "'Balance.' And if I studied yoga and transcendental meditation, ventured Conchita, I too could learn to fly? Of course not, he said. I read nothing of levitation. It just happened one night as I sat in a lotus position while chanting my mantra. Conchita skipped asking what a mantra was, but nonetheless continued her cross-examination on the crucial issue at hand. Must you have moonlight to fly? No, no, said Moises, betraying a bit of impatience. This is not magic. It's pure physics. I knew it, exclaimed Conchita. No magic, just magnetic fields, right? At this, Moises simply sniffed and reached for his cup of coffee. Conchita stood at her kitchen sink, waiting for an answer to her question. You make the richest coffee I've ever tasted, Moises finally offered. What do you do to make it so delicious? It's my mother's little secret, she said. Sensing Conchita's conflicting emotions, Moises said, Magnetic fields could certainly be at work. Conchita smiled and refilled her lover's cup with fresh coffee.
0: Hey, there's a lot more story and conversation ahead. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. You are listening to Storybound with Daniel Anthony Olivas, and he's reading a story from his collection, How to Date a Flying Mexican.
1: Rule number three, don't lie about it to your mother. On the third night they shared her bed, Conchita's late mother, Belen, appeared to her daughter. Moises snored softly, curled up like a milk-drowsed baby, while Conchita sat by his side, propped up on two pillows, surveying her new and quite delightful situation. And then, in a blink, there stood Belen at the foot of her bed dressed in the pretty floral print she'd been buried in, holding a cup of coffee and puffing on a fat hand-rolled cigarette. Ay, mija, said Belen as she exhaled a large billow of white smoke. Another man? Mama, whispered Conchita, how long have you been watching? Oh, mija, I saw the whole thing. Ay, Dios mio, exclaimed Conchita through tight lips. This is so embarrassing. Don't worry, mija, said Belen. I'm dead. Nothing embarrasses me. You ought to see what your sisters do. Conchita was partially placated by this thought, but she wondered if, in fact, her younger sisters really enjoyed themselves with their men and whether they were having more fun than she. But her mother interrupted such musings. So, Miha your new man flies, eh? I don't know what you mean, Mamma," said Conchita, as she crossed her arms and turned to gaze upon a slumbering Moises. Don't lie to your mother, said Belen. The fourth commandment forbids it, as it is numbered by the Roman Catholic Church. It is useless anyway. I know all... Mothers always do. Conchita knew that her mother spoke the truth. So, otra vez, mija, I ask you, does your new man fly? If mothers know all, said Conchita with a sly smile, why do you ask? Because mothers want their children to admit things Does your novio fly? No, mama. He levitates, said Conchita, as she turned to face her mother. Planes fly, and so do mosquitoes and birds and other things. But people levitate. Ni modo, said Belen with a wave of her cigarette. It's all the same. He's up in the air like a plane or a bird, or a mosquito, or whatever. With that, Belen sipped her coffee and let out a little burp. Uh. But his special talent doesn't make him a bad person, mama, said Conchita, feeling a bit defensive. You're right, said Belen. Sabes que, mija, before I met your papa, I dated a man who could do things with his mouth that were simply miraculous. No, Mama, I don't need to hear this. Oh, mija, that man, continued Belen, that man could make me fly. Belen let out a little laugh as her mind wandered to ancient memories. And Conchita let out a sigh. His name was Francisco, said Belen after a few moments. Conchita blinked. You mean the butcher? Belen nodded, took another sip of coffee, and then puffed heartily on her fat cigarette. At that moment, Moises woke with a start. Did you say something? he asked without opening his eyes. Belen blew a kiss to her daughter and disappeared. No, Michelo, said Conchita. Back to sleep. It was nothing. Have you been smoking? asked Moises as he sniffed the air and opened his eyes to a mere slit. No, mi cielo, no, no, said Conchita as she pushed down her pillows and snuggled near her man. You know I don't smoke. Moises closed his eyes and started to snore softly. Rule number four, don't grow weak in your resolve to keep the secret. Each morning before 7.30 a.m., except on Sundays, Conchita asks Moises to go back home. It's not because she doesn't appreciate the intimacy that long, lazy hours in bed can bring. No. It's because her sister Julieta drops by each morning at 7.30 a.m. sharp, Monday through Saturday, to end her power walk and have a little chat with her hermana. After sharing a little family time, Julieta walks home, showers, and meets her husband at their camera shop for another full day of keeping their fuzzy customers happy. Having Moises leave before Julieta arrives is not for Julieta's benefit, not at all. Julieta knows that throughout the years her older sister has enjoyed almost countless men. And being sisters, they have shared many naughty stories though most of them came from Conchita, not Julieta. In reality, Conchita wanted to spare Moises the embarrassment of having to socialize with Julieta after spending the night in Conchita's warm, entertaining bed. He was a sensitive man who read books, enjoyed art, and, most important, was still healing from his wife's death, though he tried mightily to hide his grief from Conchita. So Conchita would wake to her buzzing alarm clock at 6 a.m., slide herself on top of Moises for a delicious bit of lovemaking, serve a wonderful breakfast of tamales de puerco and hot coffee along with a newspaper, and then direct her man out the front door. Moises obliged without argument, subdued by love, food, and the morning news. He'd walk next door to his home, shower, and then meditate in his living room while Conchita and Julieta visited. During the first two weeks Conchita had enjoyed her new relationship, Julieta used her morning visits to pepper her older sister with questions. Julieta's preliminary queries were somewhat benign and quite general, such as, does he snore? And what's his favorite food? But then, after a couple of days, Julieta dug deep. How often do you make love? And how big a wedding do you want? Such questions didn't bother Conchita. Indeed, she'd be insulted if Julieta failed to probe into her love life. But one morning, her sister surprised Conchita with a particularly insightful query. What makes Moises different from all the other men you've been with? She asked as Conchita served coffee. This was precisely the kind of question that Conchita had feared. She'd always shared with Julieta the deepest, most personal elements of her dating life, even though Julieta, after drinking up every delicious detail, would eventually scold her older sister, for not settling down. Would it hurt if Conchita revealed this little secret to her best audience? What's the worst that could happen? Julieta would think she's crazy? No big deal. But perhaps Conchita shouldn't move too fast on this. Maybe she could drop little crumbs of information to see how Julieta reacts. He's very spiritual, answered Conchita, relying on every ounce of self-control that she could muster. Julieta perked up. Spiritual? she asked. You mean he prays to todos los santos and goes to mass a lot? Not quite, answered Conchita, looking over to the kitchen window. Well, what do you mean, hermana? Conchita turned back to her sister, brought the cup of coffee to her lips and said, He meditates. Meditates? She nodded and waited. What is he, some kind of, of, of agnostic? Well, I would say that. But meditation, continued Julieta, what kind of man meditates? What's wrong with saying a rosary? That works for me. It works for all good Catholics, right? A good rosary and I'm ready for bed and a good night's sleep. At that moment, Conchita realized that it would be a mistake to tell her sister that in a In addition to meditation, Moises also levitated. So much for sharing. Conchita and Moises made a compact. If she taught him the secret of her delicious coffee, he'd teach her how to meditate. Moises quickly mastered Conchita's brewing techniques, However, introducing Conchita to the art of meditation was an entirely different affair. Oh, she easily became skilled at sitting in the lotus position, due in part to her great flexibility, which also made her a delight in bed. But Conchita wrestled mightily with the meditation part of it. I'm distracted, she complained as she sat on his living room carpet. I can't keep my mind from bouncing from thing to thing. Moises counseled her. Mi amor, the most important moment in meditation is when you realize you are, in fact, distracted. No es cierto. Yes, it is true, he cooed. Say to yourself, I am now distracted. But I can't empty my mind, she protested. Moises said, meditation is not the absence of thought. Conchita opened her eyes and turned to her man who kneeled next to her. What the hell is it then, she asked. Moises gently turned Conchita's head, closed her eyes with his fingertips, and pressed his right palm onto her lower back and his left onto her abdomen. Don't forget to breathe, he said. Conchita obeyed her teacher and inhaled deeply. Now exhale, he instructed. Let your thoughts come and go without clinging to them so that you can focus on the meditation. Conchita inhaled deeply again, and after a few moments she exhaled with a soft whoosh. This is really stupid, she thought. I'm such a pendeja. Tomorrow, said Moises, we'll discover your mantra. Perfecto, said Conchita. Perfecto. Do you mean it? Yes, said Conchita. I've always wondered what kind of mantra I would have when I grew old and senile. Summing up, let us review. First, never, under any circumstances, let anyone know that your new lover can fly. This will cause your family and friends great consternation and might lead to the government or Catholic Church locking him up to prevent public disturbances. Second, don't lie to your dead mother about it. She is dead, after all, so she won't be disturbed by the news. Besides, nothing escapes her, so you might as well fess up. The fourth commandment, as it is numbered by the Roman Catholic Church, is indeed the most important one of all, at least for dead mothers. Third, do not conduct internet research on your lover's levitation skills. What you find will only cause great agitation and will make you perspire profusely. Sometimes, Controlled ignorance is the only way to get through life. Fourth, enjoy your flying Mexican. Life is short and we all need to take delight where we can find it. A corollary to this is that you should learn to accept your lover's special talents, even if they're annoying. And finally, we hope that you remember the most important lesson of all do not forget to breathe.
0: Hey, just step ahead after this final break, we have a little bit more of our conversation to go with author Daniel Anthony Olivas. Hey, you made it back. This is Storybound, and we're having a conversation with Daniel Anthony Olivas. Okay, so then let's let's end this on a really high note in regards to focus on human suffering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, does, what does suffering mean for you in your life? I mean, outside, of, what informs that?
1: What informs suffering? What is... The last two stories in my collection, I think, addresses human suffering in in a very stark way. The last two stories in in the collection were inspired by Donald Trump's family separation immigration policy and his anti-immigrant rhetoric and um, and you know actions and um, the concept of causing harm to someone in order to teach them a lesson and to punish simply because of their status, simply because of who they are, is to me, the epitome of evil. It is, um, um, it's, you know, the basis of bigotry, it's the basis of, um, racism, it's the basis of, um. Homophobia—it's—it's—you know—it—it—it its probably the greatest evil on this earth um, that causes damage and harm and pain. Next to um, uh, avarice, you know, corporations that don't care as long as they can make a profit, and they will pollute and destroy the environment and do whatever. hell they want uh, because they want to make a profit. So, you know, bigotry and avarice, those are probably two, to me, two of the biggest um, causes of pain and harm in our world today.
0: Yeah. And I, that's the direct reason as to why I also had to sequester myself and then figure out when am I going to interact with this world that I really care about, full of strangers that I you know, see in my immediate life, if I'm walking to the studio or going to the grocery store and I interact with someone on the street or whatever, you know, you have how many conversations, interactions per day, and then that shapes your your view of the world. But then you also have this online world full of people. Then you have even further than that, just the news. Mm -hmm. I I had to really limit myself and take more time to ponder on those observations and think, okay, what's a long-term problem solved for me? And it's nice how you have how your writing has seemed to answer that that calling for you. And I think you're doing a, a really nice job. And I hope someone picks up, actually, I hope everyone who's listening to this picks up a copy of the of the book because these are really wonderful short stories. And we're going to hear from Daniel here soon. He's going to do a little reading for us. So
1: Wonderful. And thank you for your observations and uh, thoughtfulness. I appreciate that.
0: Oh, thanks for your thoughtfulness. This is, this is great. <laughs> okay. So now we want to do the reading and we can just... Oh, yeah, go for it. Take it back. Okay, I'll be right back. Thank you to Daniel Anthony Olivas for reading. His book is titled How to Date a Flying Mexican, a title that certainly inspired me to pick it up. Go get yourself a copy at your favorite local bookseller. Thank you to University of Nevada Press, Epidemic Sound, and thank you, Daniel, for taking the time to remind us all that we could use a little more meditation to quiet those voices in our heads. Production assistance by Matt Keeley, Joni Deutsch, Madison Richards, and Morgan Swift from the Pogglomerate. Social media help from Sylvia Beltil, our production coordinators, Jordan Aaron, our mix and engineers Tim Carplus. Editing, sound design, scoring, arranging, and hosting are done by me, Jude Brewer. Our executive producers are myself, Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate, and Justin Alvarez of Lithub. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StoryboundPod. You can also tweet at me directly at Jude Brewery. New episodes are every Tuesday.
1: depends on, on the story. So I do have um, some uh, at least one story here where the narrator is incredibly intrusive where he is telling the story about Don de la Cruz and the devil of Malibu. and that narrator basically introduces himself through his through his narration as well as uh, in another story that same narrator sticks his head in rather blatantly, I think, in in the narration and uh, lets, lets people know that he's right there in the room. So for example, in The Plumed Serpent of Los Angeles, my narrator begins by saying, I know your parents, being good Mexicans, taught you that although Columbus came from Italy, the Spanish crown commissioned his voyage to El Nuevo Mundo. And so his three ships sailed under a Spanish flag. And then he continues to start basically cussing out what the Spanish did. And, and so he's not afraid to give his opinion. He's very clear about where he comes from as a, as a Chicano, someone who, is, who has suffered through colonialism. And then he tells his story. But he did want you to know it's coming from a certain perspective.
0: So far, I, I haven't approached it where I felt that I didn't have a handle over... I think you are um, um, Emotional.
1: There. Oh, you were frozen you're... for a bit. Yes.
0: <laughs> you were frozen as well.
1: The Podglomerate. Sonic Universe.